not that I don't trust you all, but if you would, please turn in your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through verse 26. I know it says something different on your bulletin, but uh, as we went through the week, um, it became more and more apparent that 26 would be a great place for us to just dwell. As we have been looking at Romans these last few weeks, uh, Paul has started from his thesis in chapter 1, verse 16 through verse 17 of a presentation of the gospel. And as we looked at the first uh, chat, two, chat, two and a half chapters, we began to get an idea, a glimpse of our need for salvation, of our desperate situation. And certainly, uh, if you've been you've joined us these last two weeks, um, you know that they have had a different tone to them. They've been more somber as we've understand the depths of our sin, as we've understand the depths of our guilt before a holy and righteous God. Thankfully, Paul does not leave it there, but that scripture goes on and we see this glorious introduction to the gospel in the words, but now. If you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. Chapter 3, starting in verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can come at all. That we who are sinners offered grace and mercy. We who have denied you, who have gone our own way, Lord, have been met by love and forgiveness. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, as we have heard the words of these songs of praise and of salvation as we have come before you and heard the words of this scripture that you would not only not only listen to those words but that we would meditate upon the depths of the things that you have done and that it would help us 
pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I said a moment ago, and as I've said many times already uh, during this sermon series, the Holy Spirit leads Paul to write in a very uh, interesting way. He, he writes this letter as an essay of sorts, and we looked at the thesis there in chapter 1, 16 and 17, and he begins to continue to build. <clears throat> and because he builds point upon point, it is good for us to do a review of what we have already studied, just to kind of keep us all on the same page and in the same thought flow. So I know many of you have already have were here the last two weeks. Many of you know um, these points already, but it's good, it's a good reminder for us so that we can remember kind of where we've been because Paul does build so carefully, point upon point. So in review of chapter one, eighteen. Uh, chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 20. We're just gonna, I just want to review just a few main points. We're not going to spend a ton of time here, but just a few main points. First, a reminder that we have all denied God. Paul makes it very clear that we have all denied God, whether we were brought up in a religious atmosphere or whether we were not, at one point or another, whether it was with the, the words of our mouth or the actions of our hands, we have all said to God, I don't need you, I don't believe in you, or I can do it better. And in doing so, we have all committed treason, so to speak, against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We've turned our back on him. We've become his enemies, even the Bible says. So we have all denied God. We have all sinned. We have all as the scripture, the passage that we just read, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We have desired God's glory for ourselves. We have desired to take it from him. But in order to do that, we must maintain perfection. And it is clear if you look at your own life that you have and I have not done that. Paul gives us a list going back to chapter one for just a moment. He gives us a list in verse 29. He says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. You may not identify with every single one of those. You may say, well, I'm not a murderer. I've never stolen anything in my life. But I, I would bet that you can claim one of those as your own, if not multiple. We've all been gossips and slanderers. We've all been disobedient to parents. And because we have missed the mark of perfection, we are all justly convicted and sentenced. Because we have rebelled against God, we have committed treason, because we have missed the mark and, and done what the Bible calls sin, broken the law of God, then we all stand rightly and justly before a holy God convicted as guilty. Not one of us can stand before God and say, I am innocent. And because we are rightly convicted, then we are justly sentenced. It's one thing for someone to be found guilty in the court of law, but if there is no sentencing, then really what does that guilt, what weight does that guilty verdict have? And the answer is it would have little, right, if there was no sentence. But the sentence then of the law, of breaking God's law, 
is not merely a fine or a temporary jail sentence. No, when you break the law of God, it is the sentence, the just sentence is death. And not just a physical death. When the Bible describes of death, typically in this context, it is speaking of an eternal separation from God. Quite literally, hell. Forever. And this is what we've earned. Paul concludes that thought by helping us to understand that in this condition of being justly convicted and rightly sentenced, that there is no self-help. You can't be good enough to get yourself out of this situation. There's nothing you can do. There's no uh, five-step program that's going to going to get you beyond this. There's no hope for parole because you've had good time served. This is your situation that you have earned and there is no way out. We used this example last week, but it's it's like the murderer who is found rightly guilty of committing murder of another individual and they stand before the judge and they say, but I've been a good person before this and I promise to be a good person after this. You should let me go. That's ludicrous. We would, we would think that any judge that would agree to that, we would immediately call for him to be disbarred. In the same way, when we stand before a holy God, we can't just simply say, but I've been a good person. It's not, that's not how it works. The law calls for the penalty of death to be paid for those that have broken it. And so this is where we stand. We stand before a holy God, having denied him, having justly been convicted and sentenced with no way out. It's hopeless. And I pray that the last two weeks and this morning that we understand the depth of that. That we understand the weight of that. been as excited about chapter three as I have been. I've been telling uh, Jill and Nathan have probably gotten tired of me saying, I can't wait till we get past this. But now, those are the words that Paul uses to introduce the good news that God has made a way for the guilty to know him. He introduces in this end of chapter 3, he introduces the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. In particular, he, he has four words in these few verses that really highlight what he is talking about. And so this morning, we are going to take a look at these four words in particular that, that Paul uses to describe the gospel and my prayer is, is that you would see the magnificence of what God has done for a rightly convicted and, or a justly convicted and a rightly sentenced individual. The magnitude of what he has accomplished. The first word that we're going to look at is righteousness. Starting off in verse 21, which we read just a moment ago, but now. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, 
Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now, Paul makes a couple of interesting notes here. He says that the man of, excuse me, the righteousness of God has been, has been manifested. It's been made apparent to us apart from the law. In other words, it can't, he's reminding us, it can't be earned. It can't be something that you just follow a set of steps. The righteousness of God is apart from the law, though the law, and, the, and really he's saying all of the Old Testament has always pointed to this. It's always, gonna, it's always been headed this direction. But the righteousness of God has been manifested and is now available to those who believe in Jesus Christ. So when he speaks of righteousness, what is he speaking of? He's speaking of moral, that moral perfection has been granted to those who believe. Think about that for a minute. When, what Paul is saying is that the moral perfection of God has been granted to those who believe in Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. The moral perfection of God has been granted to us who believe. Do you remember what the description of us is beforehand? It is not moral perfection. In fact, it is complete moral corruption that is being described of us. And yet now God takes his righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus, and he places it upon us. That should be mind-blowing. Because now, when a holy and righteous God looks upon you and I, what he sees is not our moral corruption, but rather what he sees is the moral perfection of Jesus. That is game-changing. That is worthy of an amen that he does this thing. Just as I, you know, I tried to dress Charlie up like me, but I mean, there's no manner of, of doing that that's going to make Charlie me. There's no manner of, of, of me putting things on him that's going to make anyone believe that he's me. But that is exactly what God does for the believer. He covers us so that now we are no longer corrupted, but that now we have moral perfection granted to our account. Now, obviously, I want to clarify something. Obviously, that doesn't mean that we are perfect from here on out. We still make mistakes. We still fall and stumble. But it is not recorded to our account. It has been taken care of. Not only does he say that this moral perfection has been granted, not only do we have access to righteousness now, but he uses another word. He uses the word justification. Continuing on in our passage, it says, for all, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. So he uses another word. He says that we have access to righteousness now, to that moral perfection, but he also says that we have been justified. Though we have all fallen short of the glory of God, though we've all fallen short of perfection, 
he has given us justification as a gift. So what is justification? Justification is being made innocent in the eyes of the law. It's being made innocent in the eyes of the law. If you get a speeding ticket and are convicted and have a fine, until you pay that fine, the law holds a hold on you, correct? If you don't pay the fine, eventually they're going to come find you, okay? And the the same would be true if you you broke a larger law. We talk about uh, people paying their debt to society, right? They they have broken a law, they went to jail, and when they get out, they have paid their debt to society. That moment, so in the moment that you're still making payment, in the moment that you haven't made payment, you are still under the law and are still guilty. But the moment that you pay that fine, the moment that you have done your, your time and are released, at that moment, then you are equal with the law. You're no longer beholden to it. You're no longer guilty under it. Now, there's still a record of it in human sense. There's a record of what you've done wrong. But in the sense that there is another sense that the law no longer can can find you again. They can't put you back in jail for the same thing. You're even. So, too, when we break the law, which we've already seen multiple times, we have all done. God doesn't just give us his righteousness. He also makes it where we are innocent. Now, not only do we have access to the righteousness of God, now we can be seen as innocent in the courtroom of God. Now, no longer have we earned a sentence. Now we are free to receive blessing. Think about that for a minute. God changes our legal status before him from a guilty individual deserving of death and hell to an innocent individual deserving of blessing. Again, this is is mind-blowing. That a God that is holy and just and perfect would see fit to find a way to help a sinner to find freedom. So the question then becomes, all right, so God has put his moral perfection on us. He has made righteousness accessible to us. He has now justified us. He has made us innocent before him. He has now opened the doors for us to be able to come into his presence. He's now made it accessible for us to have a hope of heaven and of eternal life and of a new earth and a a new heavens. And all of this is available to us now. How? Well, that's what the last two words deal with. The next word that he gives us is redemption. It says in verse 24, going back to verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So at this point, at this point, Paul turns turns the page 
uh, to just a degree, to begin to tell us how this is possible. How is it that a sinner goes from guilty and convicted to righteous and innocent? He says that it starts with redemption. Redemption, according to the dictionary, is the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. You see, all of this is possible. All of this is possible. The righteousness of God being made available to us, the justification of God where he makes us innocent before the law, all of that is made available to us because he has paid the price. He paid the price. I don't remember what TV show I got this from. I don't remember where I heard this story. Um, But there was a, a man who was um, pulled over, and it was there was a realization that he had an outstanding speeding ticket. And so, um, because, and because it was so overdue, because of some other things that had gone on, they said, well, we're going to have to, you're going to have to stay in jail for a little bit. We're going to set a low bail, but you're, you're going to have to go, come with us. So they put him in jail, and they set the bail, and he makes his one phone call to his best friend and says, hey, can you come down and bail me out? No friend, being a good friend, says, yeah, no problem. Goes down, to the, goes down to jail, and they begin the paperwork. And in the process of doing the paperwork, the realization is made that this friend has an outstanding warrant on him as well. And so they take that friend, and they place him in the same jail cell as the friend. And he's like, now what do we do? He's like, well, I've got another phone call. So they call one another mutual friend, and that friend comes down. And in the process of doing the bail for both of these guys, it's found out that that guy has an outstanding warrant. And they put him in the same jail put same jail cell and so they're all now like getting a little concerned and so the guy that has the most recent convict that we have in the jail cell says i know what i'll do i will call my mother there is no way that my mother like she is perfect and they call the mom and the mom comes down and in the process of them doing the bail paperwork they realize that mom has an outstanding warrant for her arrest and they place her in the jail cell thank you craig Brothers and sisters, there is no one that we can call to come bail us out. There is no one that is perfect. There was no one coming to the rescue. There is no design or scheme of man that can set us free. We owe a debt and it must be paid. In steps Jesus Christ. Jesus steps into the scene, coming out of all of heaven, the one who has been since before the creation of the world, wrapped himself in flesh that he may live a perfect life in a way that we could not so that he could come to the jail cell, so that he could come to the bailiff and say, I can pay it all. And no one can accuse him of anything. He pays it all. And only How are we redeemed through him? How are we found righteous through him? How are we justified and made innocent in the law through him? And through him alone, thank God. So what is the payment that is made? If redemption is is how justification and righteousness happen, then what payment was made on your behalf and my behalf? 
This is propitiation. It says there in our text, they are justified by his grace. They are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Your translation may say sacrifice of atonement by his blood. By his blood. That propitiation, that sacrifice of atonement, that payment that was made so that you and I may be redeemed, it was a payment made with his own blood. You see, the law prescribes that anyone who breaks the holy law of God, that death must follow. And so God, in his justice, could not simply look the other way. He couldn't just let it slide. He couldn't look at the law and just say, eh, don't worry about it. A payment had to be made. Blood had to be shed. And so God does it himself. Jesus comes and lives that perfect life, and he voluntarily laid down his life and shed his own blood to pay our penalty. The righteousness that we are given, the justification that we are offered, the redemption that is ours in faith is only made possible because of his death. Again, that's a weighty point. You see, it's one thing, and the the Bible talks about this, it's one thing for us to see a good person who's a friend of ours or a family member of ours that's in need, and for us to say, I'm going to pay that penalty, I'm going to pay that bill for them, I'm going to take care of them. It's one thing for that to happen, right? It's a completely another thing for, for someone to do that for someone that has harmed them, someone that has hurt them. That's exactly what Christ has done. Though we have denied him, though we have turned the other way, though we have told him we don't need him, that we can do it better, though we have earned our sentence and our outcome, he came for us. He died for us. And I love what God does here. God doesn't simply make that sacrifice, but he also gives us assurance that that sacrifice was enough. How does he do that? He does that through the resurrection. When Christ comes back three day, on the third day, it is God's receipt of paid in full. It is God's assurance that what Christ did on the cross was enough, and it's complete. And so now we can have assurance that the payment that Christ made for us, that the justification that he has given us, that the righteousness for us will too lead to resurrection one day. We have that assurance now because God has already done that in Christ Jesus. All of this he has done as what it says in verse 26, to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier. He is just in carrying out the sentence and demanding the debt, but he is the justifier in that he paid the debt himself. 
He is justified in that. He takes care of it on our behalf. So we approach him. We approach Christ. We do so as, certainly as him being the holy judge and the righteous God, but we also do it understanding the great price that he paid that we may have that we may be rescued. That we may have hope. It's a gift, Paul says. It's a gift. But it's a gift that must be received. It says multiple times as you go through this passage, it says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe, he goes on, he says that we are justified by his grace as a gift. It says, he goes on in verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And then at the end, so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Christ came, he lived the perfect life, he paid the penalty so that those who believe, who have faith, may receive this gift. Friend, it's, it's not an automatic thing. Not all of humanity is suddenly covered in the blood of Christ. You have to make a decision whether you're going to accept that gift or not. You're going to have to make the decision what you're going to do with Christ. Whether you're going to look at the gift that he hands out and say, no thanks, I'm good. Or whether you're going to say, yes, I want that gift. So how do we do this? As the Philippian jailer asked the question in Acts 16, how do we, how, what must we do to be saved? What must we do to receive the righteousness of God? What must I do to no longer be guilty but to become innocent? What must I do to be redeemed? What must I do to have the hope of all of heaven? What must I do? The answer is simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household shall be saved. Simply believe. Now, this isn't a, just an academic exercise. It's not just going, yeah, I know that Jesus is real. It's a belief that changes everything. It's recognizing that, yeah, I need saving, that I need forgiveness. It's a belief that his blood paid the price and that his resurrection was proof of that. It's belief that he is God, that he is, as Paul says, Lord, and therefore worthy of our faithfulness, worthy of our obedience, this belief changes everything. I pray, friend, if you are sitting here this morning and the Lord is speaking to your heart and maybe you've been in church for a long time, Maybe you've even been dunked by in water. 
but you know I have never truly followed him. I've never really given him control of my life. That this morning, that you would have a conversation with him. That you would say, Father, please forgive me. Whatever that looks like for you, however you need to acknowledge that, Father, forgive me. God, please forgive me. I know that you have paid the price for my sin. I know that you died on the cross. I know that you were raised from the dead. I want to follow you now. I want to follow you wherever you would take me, whatever you would have me to do. I want to. Would you pray that prayer this morning? Believer, I pray this morning that you would understand the depth of what God has done in his grace that you would desire to celebrate that, that you would desire to share it. That this morning, maybe you would remember what he has purchased for you and that you would, maybe even this morning, and we all go through this from time to time, but you would realize this morning, I have neglected that. I know the truth of it. I know that I've accepted it, but at some point along the way, life got in the way and I got distracted and I have neglected him even though he has done so much for me. This morning, Father, forgive me for that neglect. Help me to get back on track. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe it's to pray for a family member, for a friend, for a coworker, for an acquaintance, that the Lord would give you an opportunity to, to share that grace with the world. I'm gonna ask the praise team to come back up and we're gonna have a time of response. And I'm just going to I'm just going to share this challenge. And I've been debating and praying over this all week. But I'm just going to share this challenge. There is no doubt in my mind that the vast majority of us would just be overwhelmed by excitement if someone were to come down this morning and make the confession that that they need Christ in their lives and to seek baptism and to confess that they are now a follower of Christ. There's no doubt in my mind that that we would be overwhelmed by joy. My challenge is this. Are we asking them to do what we will not? God speaks to our hearts. And there are many times that standing and singing praise is exactly what, what he calls for. And there are many times that we need to have a conversation with him in private, and I understand that. But there are other times that I know, because it's happened in my life, that I need to come before him in a public way and deal with something. And sometimes it's to plead on the behalf of someone else. Sometimes it's, Father, I am coming before you in a public manner that I may pray for a friend that needs you. Sometimes it's to come in a public way and say, I need you. But are we asking someone that's a new believer to do something that we are not willing to do? I'm not saying that everyone should rush to the altar. But I'm encouraging you to respond the way that Jesus would have you to respond. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for those two words, but now. Father, we we have looked these last two Sundays at the depth of our sin and our guilt I know, Lord, I confess, Lord, that it shakes me. 
Lord, we cannot begin to thank you enough and to praise you enough that you in your grace have made a way. That you have bestowed upon those who believe your righteousness and your innocence. That you have redeemed us through your blood and your resurrection. Lord, that we may now live in anticipation and with hope of what lies ahead. Father, I pray this morning, if there is one here who has never made that commitment, that you would do an incredible work of grace in their life, that you would give them boldness to speak with you and then to share that with someone else to say, this is, what, this is the decision that I have made. Father, I pray for us as a church, Lord, Lord, that we would respond to you as you have called us, as you have spoken to us this morning. Father, we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ.